Oh, man, you guys make me a lot less nervous when you're that excited. So thank you. Yeah, keep it going. Keep it going. All right, first off, I just want to say, Sam, you killed it this morning, man. So thank you so much for leading this morning. Um, I know I wasn't here the last time you led, and so I just really appreciate it. How awesome is it for someone who grew up in this church, who a lot of you have probably seen playing drums back here at 12 years old, barely to see over the drum set, to see him up here and now leading us in worship. And you are such a great example, uh, leading people you know who are older than you, people who um, have lived longer, who are wiser, and uh, man, it is such um, just a, such an incredible testimony. I think you know uh, one thing. Um, you know, when looking at this nativity story, Mary and Joseph uh, were young people. They were people. They were probably teenagers. Um, yet Matthew and God and Luke chose to use them as an example for older people. That when they read that story, they're like, "Wow." Look at these young people making such wise decisions. And so uh, I'm just so proud of you, man. Uh, you've grown so much. And same with the rest of the team, uh, Logan and Reagan and Arian and Ben. So um, I just had to get that out there. Um, anytime I'm up here and I'm not up here, I always just want to give a shout out to the worship team. They are incredible. But man, I am so excited to have this opportunity to preach. Um, Pastor Ben stole a little bit of my thunder. I didn't know he was going to share what I would be speaking on. So I'm going to have to edit my notes as I go uh, to kind of show the big reveal, but it's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's all right. It's all right. Um, but man, Christmas, I just want to be honest with you. It is a really, really, really difficult thing to preach on um, because each Christian has their own thoughts and ideas that surround the Christmas story and the nativity. And so for us, it's hard to be able to preach the same thing every year and make it sound new make it not sound like we are a broken record. So, um, I mean, you have to even think about it. We sing the same songs every year. We preach the same message every year from the same story. And so for us, it was just really encouraging for me, for Pastor Ben to sit down with me and Pastor Pete and to just brainstorm and have all of us come together and say, hey, what do you guys think about this? And so I just really appreciate your wisdom um, and letting us uh, decide together uh, what to preach on this Christmas season. And so what's beautiful about this nativity series is that, you know, people know the nativity story, but most people are unaware of the individual stories that are behind the nativity and leading up to the birth of Christ. So you might be thinking about your nativity set at home, and you're like, well, that's pretty much everything in our nativity set. And uh, you might have been wondering, coming in this morning, what I was going to preach on. And like Pastor Ben said, you know, there is a divine hand that is present, that is moving throughout the whole nativity story. It is a thread that is linking all of these stories together. And so when we see the nativity, we see these stationary pieces, but we forget that there was something that brought all of these people together. God revealed himself differently to each of the people in this story, and his hand is evident in the nativity. So Pastor Ben said something that was really profound when he spoke of the nativity. He said, all I need to know about the gospel, I can learn from the nativity. This was an idea he got from the book, All I Really Need to Know, I Learned from Kindergarten. And Pastor Ben read some of the th uh, things that are written here. Um, he said that there was one that said to play fair, uh, one that said to share, and one that said not to hit people, which is something that we definitely still need to learn today. 
And, um, you know, these are things that we take for granted, but they really are essential to our upbringing and for our success in life. And as I took a look at the list this week, one of the points stuck out to me, and uh, the author wrote this. It's number 14, and it should be on the screen. It says, be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup? The root goes down and the plant goes up, and nobody really knows how or why. But we are all like that. I think sometimes we look at our nativity sets at home and we think that's how the story really panned out. That there's this calm mother staring tenderly down at her baby and she is old and wise and next to her is this stoic man who is always holding a staff for some reason. And I don't really know why he's holding a staff except maybe it makes him look more Middle Eastern or something. And um, then there's always one shepherd that's always, he always has like a sheep around his neck, like it's a bag of feed. And, um, and one thing that I always thought was funny is that we get three wise men and they're the only ethnic representation in the whole thing. I even, if you Google nativity set, the first one that comes up, the only ethnic representation in the whole nativity set are the wise men. And we always get three of them because they brought three gifts. Even though there was probably several of them, a multitude of them, they came in a whole caravan. You know, we only get three. And so uh, I thought that was weird that we get, you know, this clean-cut, G-rated, third-grade diorama instead of this story of epic proportions. So I love that quote, be aware of wonder. When I read it for the first time, I was like, hey, that's what I'm going to be talking about this Sunday. And I got all excited um, and nerded out, and it was great. And, um, but unlike the seed in the styrofoam cup, we get to look at the how and the why surrounding the nativity story. That there is a mystery surrounding the nativity. And I want to take a moment and look at God's work in the birth narrative. In each instance over the previous two weeks, there has been a divine hand present and we need to be aware of this wonder or we are going to miss the power behind Christ's birth. So I want to share with you this morning three things on what we can learn about God from the nativity. So the first thing we can learn is that God sees the bigger picture. We look at our nativity sets at home and they are a still shot. They are one shot in one place at one moment in time. But the story of Christ is something that has been in motion since the very beginning of time. We have four accounts in our Bible of the life of Jesus Christ. And one of the authors, instead of giving us the story of Christ's birth, he wanted to emphasize how Christ's coming to earth was always God's plan. He wanted to share how before time even began, Christ was there. And so John 1.1, it reads, In the beginning was the Word, who was Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says, He was with God in the beginning. John wanted his readers to know that Jesus was always a part of God's plan. That Jesus wasn't a plan B after Adam and Eve ate the apple. But it was always part of God's plan to be with his people forever. And Pastor Ben will actually share more about this on Christmas Eve this Saturday. And trust me, you don't want to miss it. That he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us.
So like I said, we see this nativity set as a still shot, but we forget that even the people that witnessed Christ's birth were part of a bigger story. And so think of the timing of all this. The Jewish people knew the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And nine months after Mary gets pregnant, Joseph is called to go back to Bethlehem for a census. The day of her pregnancy and the day of the census were planned perfectly by God. And Mary and Joseph had to make this long trip for the prophecy to be uh, fulfilled. And it's like God is, um, I think of someone like a master chess player thinking three and four and five moves ahead. And that's how God is in this story, that he has thought everything out. He has planned everything out so that everything could be timed perfectly to this moment in time. He even planned things hundreds of years back. So like Pastor Ben said, um, who were the first people who came to Jesus' birth. They were the shepherds. And like Pastor mentioned a couple of weeks ago, shepherds were in the lowest place of society. But that wasn't the only reason that they were part of the birth story. The Jewish people believed their Messiah would fulfill a promise God made to David. And so let's turn to 2 Samuel 7 and read about it. David was one of the first kings of Israel And God made a promise to him that David's kingdom would reign forever. And so in 2 Samuel, in uh, chapter 7, beginning at verse 8, it reads, Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. And then listen to this. It says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And then let's jump to uh, verse 11. It says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And then this is another big point. It says in verse 16, it says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will will be established forever. Amen. Amen. People believed that when the Messiah came, he would be King David 2.0. But what people forget about David is that he started as a lowly shepherd in his father Jesse's flock. And so he tended his father's sheep. And when the prophet Samuel came to anoint the new king, King David wasn't even considered as a possibility. He wasn't even present when Samuel came to anoint a king. God wanted the shepherds to be present at the birth of Christ to remind the Jewish people that they were getting a new shepherd and a new king. Better than David. Mightier than David. And he would reign forever. See, we see see a shepherd as a still shot 
For what God saw was a sign that he was fulfilling to David, a promise that was made over 900 years earlier. And so when I thought of this, I was like, man, you know, some wives think that their husbands are taking a long time to finish a chore that they promised to do months ago. And I thought, man, think of a thousand years. I can't even fathom a thousand years. Think a thousand years ago from right now. I mean, white people weren't even on this continent. Like, let's put that in perspective for you. Yet God was fulfilling a promise to David that he made 900 years before Christ came to earth. So sometimes I need to remind myself to take God's perspective on things. I can take a still shot of my life or my circumstances, and sometimes I'm going to be honest, it, it really stinks. And we can look at our jobs or the choices our loved ones are making, and we can look at our financial strain or maybe um, a health issue that is outside of our control, and we wonder where God is in the midst of it. And then things go quickly from feeling awesome to being awful. But think how Mary must have felt when she was told that she was pregnant. Think how Joseph must have felt thinking uh, Mary had adultery when he heard that she was pregnant. And if the Magi merely studied the star in the sky and they never followed it, they would have missed the whole reason the star had come. There was a bigger picture at play. But if we only look at the snapshot, we will lose sight of what that picture is. And so I don't know if any of you know this or not, but I love art. Um, I love to visit art museums. I enjoy painting and doodling and being creative and doing all of that stuff. And even in high school, I was voted the most artistic person in my graduating class. And my favorite type of art is Impressionism. Um, and if you don't know what Impressionism is, think of Van Gogh, Starry Night, all of that stuff. I love Van Gogh. Um, I love Monet. Um, but there's an Impressionist, and his name is uh, George Surratt. Um, who has opened my eyes to the whole idea of perspective. Um, Surat is famous for a type of painting which is called pointillism. Um, and if you don't know what pointillism is, uh, you can kind of get the point in the name. Uh, pointillism is a version of impressionism where the artist creates a piece using only dots. Isn't that very interesting? And so you look at that, you're like, yo, that is ugly. Um, but if you look at the painting up close, which is what this picture is, um, you really see nothing. You see dots, and you see blotches, and you see random colors and no fixed pattern, and it just looks like chaos. But when you take a step back from the canvas, you see a beautiful masterpiece. Yeah, look at that. And what's crazy is this is even a smaller piece of a larger picture. The larger picture, it wasn't creepy. It was just called The Parade, and it's like a circus scene, and it had a creepy clown in it. So I decided, hey, just this small face. And so even think, this is just, I would say, 10% of this painting. And so, but you look up close, you see these dots, you take a step back, and you see a masterpiece. I just want to remind you, if your life is in shambles or if you feel like you're struggling to get by, I believe that there is a bigger picture that God is trying to show you. 
Maybe it's that he wants you to trust him more. Maybe it's that he wants to use your life or even your difficulty to bring more people to him. Maybe he's trying to share something about himself or this world through your story. But you need to take a step back and realize that God is trying to tell a story through you and through your life. You need to see the big picture. The chaos in your life is really trying to tell a story, but if you don't take a moment to step back, you may mess that story up. Remember that God is a God that is bigger than any situation. He is bigger than just the right now. He is the God of the bigger, uh, the bigger picture. And so God just doesn't see the big picture, but, he, um, but I also learned from the nativity that God speaks in different ways. And so, uh, so throughout this nativity story, we see God working in miraculous ways. Uh, we see angels, we see stars in the sky, we see people who experience God in their dreams, and we hear from Gabriel and see God um, speaking of his promises fulfilled in Scripture. And I think God covered his bases here in revealing himself in different ways. That all the characters in the nativity, they had a divine encounter, but all of those encounters were different. And so let's take a moment and look at each of these encounters. So to Mary, God showed up to her through the archangel Gabriel. And so Luke 26, uh, 126, it reads, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then it says later, it says, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age, and uh, she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And then this is a big thing that Gabriel has said. He said, For no word from God will ever fail. So Gabriel, if you don't know this, Gabriel is only one of two angels who are mentioned by name in the whole Bible. He isn't just an angel of the Lord, but he is an angel with a name. He's probably the most famous angel in the Bible. He spoke to Daniel in the Old Testament, and Luke's gospel is the only time he is mentioned in the New Testament by name. God sending Gabriel gives authority to the message that was given to Mary. And I'm sure for her it was reassuring, knowing that the same angel that was revealed to the prophet Daniel was speaking to her there. And so God spoke to Mary through an angel named Gabriel. But he spoke to Joseph through a dream. And so in Matthew's account, it reads, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But then listen to this. In verse 20 it says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So I don't know about you, but I think it would take a little bit more than just a dream to convince me that my pregnant fiancé did not cheat on me. And so Pastor Pete did a great job uh, conveying how Joseph must have felt through the whole thing. But what is striking to me is how quick he obeyed God once he had his dream. See, this isn't an angel visit, and I don't know if any of you realize this, but everyone dreams. Like, this isn't something that is supernatural. And I think Pete even joked about this last week when he said, like, man, what did I eat last night? You know, you would wake up from this dream and you would wonder, like, what's happening? But Joseph was able to see that this was a message from God. Mary was visited by angels. Joseph was visited in a dream. And the shepherds were visited by an angel of the Lord. And this wasn't just an angel, but after the unnamed angel spoke, there was a whole assembly of angels that followed him in song. And so we get the story in Luke 2. It's Luke 2, uh, uh, starting in verse 9. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then here it says in verse 13, it says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So for them, they were just minding their own business. They had no clue what was going on. They weren't an integral part of the story, yet God wanted to share with these men about what was going on in Bethlehem. And this just wasn't one angel who came, but there was a whole choir that came singing and dancing and celebrating the birth of Christ. And so I kind of want to take a sidebar here when talking about this, that, that these angels are a great representation of what it means to praise and to worship God. That I think sometimes when we sing on Sunday mornings, I think our priorities are a little off. I think uh, sometimes when we're here and we're singing, our priority is that we want to have an experience with God. And, um, and I don't think that's bad. And I truly believe that when we worship him and when we praise him and when we seek God and seek his face, that God will meet us where we are. But in this text, the angels already knew that God was in their midst. Jesus was on earth, and their priority wasn't about having an experience. Their priority was to share what God had done and what he was going to do. And above anything else, these angels, they wanted to glorify God. 
They wanted to lift him up. They wanted to praise him. They wanted to thank God for what was happening. And they wanted to, the shepherds to be a part of sharing that same thing to those around them as well. They saw that a Savior was born, and there was nothing else they could do besides worship God. And so for me, I think of a southern preacher preaching the house down, and there are people in the congregation going, yes, amen, and preach it. You know, here there is a choir of angels. This angel says a Savior is born, and then these angels say, yes, glory to God, peace on earth to men. So we've talked about Mary and we've talked about Joseph and the shepherds, but let's also talk about the Magi. The Magi are, as many of you know them, and as Pastor Ben mentioned them earlier, the wise men were most likely astrologers. They studied the stars. And um, I don't know if you knew this, but astrology was forbidden in the law. So these men probably weren't Jews or probably weren't followers of God. And so think of being a first century Jewish person and reading or hearing Matthew's story the first time of the account of Jesus' birth. And in the midst of it, you see God revealing himself to these men in a way that only they could understand. And even though astrology was forbidden in the law, God chose to reveal himself in a way that only these men got. What was a guiding star to these men was probably just another star in the sky to you or me. So the star in the sky was not a divine light that only the Magi could see, but it was an astrological anomaly that only they could understand. So it's crazy when you study the Star of Bethlehem, and I don't know if any of you have done this before, but you can actually map the alignment of the stars and the planets from the Earth's perspective going back to thousands and thousands of years. And if you do this, there is actually a pretty cool thing that happens around the same time that Jesus is born. Over 2,000 years ago, there was a moment in time where Jupiter and Venus were aligned in the sky, and it formed a super bright star-like presence in the sky. So to you or me, it, it just would have been a bright star. But think of what that must have looked like to people who studied the stars for a living. It was like nothing they had ever seen before. Never before had the stars aligned in such a way. Not in their lifetime, not in the lifetime before them, not in the lifetime after them. The Magi knew it had to mean something. And luckily for them, it did. So God might speak to you in a way that only you understand. And so for me, sometimes God speaks to me in pictures, and, and I'll see something in my mind. Like I said, I love art, and so I think because of my passion for art that sometimes God speaks to me that way. Um, sometimes in my mind I'll see maybe a cup overflowing, or sometimes uh, one time I saw paint splattering across a city map, or some, uh, once I saw wax melting, or um, another time I even saw a light bulb turn on in my brain. Like, oh, hey, I got it. Um, and... <laughs> And to you, those things might mean nothing. You're like, oh, hey, paint falling on a map, woohoo. But to me at the time, 
it meant something, and I knew it was God. So we need to remember to be open to hear him. God may be trying to speak to us, but we are expecting him to speak to us in a certain way at a certain time or maybe even a certain place only here on Sunday mornings at church. But God is trying to communicate to us in some other way. He spoke to all of these different people in the nativity in different ways, and he can speak to you as well. What I need to remember is that if I'm willing to be open, if I'm willing to open up my heart and listen, he will reveal himself to me too. I just need to be open to see it. So some of you may be asking, well, how do I know if what I'm hearing is from God or not? And I think, hey, that is a great question to ask. And that would be really foolish of me to say, hey, you should be open to hear from God, but not tell you how you can hear from God. So, um, but before I answer that, I just kind of want to let you know that there are two other people um, in the nativity story who God spoke to who I haven't mentioned yet. And uh, they're the ones who wrote the story, uh, the prophet Luke and Matthew. And so Luke and Matthew's stories, they differ a little bit from each other. Uh, Luke does a great job weaving the stories of John the Baptist and Jesus. And he does a great job to include Mary's perspective of what happened. And so Matthew takes the nativity um, in a little different way. And I want to take a moment and actually talk about his side of the story. Uh, something that was really striking to me when studying it, something that I never realized before, is that Matthew includes at least one scripture reference in every paragraph of his letter leading all the way up to the Sermon on the Mount. And so that means that every passage here in Matthew's nativity story is centered around some Old Testament prophecy that has been fulfilled in Christ. And some of us may be upset that we don't know more about the birth of Jesus, but for Matthew, he only included what he thought mattered. Matthew only added stories from Christ's birth that fulfilled promises God made to his people in the Old Testament. So Matthew and the other disciples of Jesus knew the Old Testament both backwards and forwards. Matthew knew the power of Christ's birth in fulfilling these promises made over the course of centuries. And there's probably facts about the story of Jesus' birth that we will never know because to Matthew, they had no purpose in telling God's redemptive story. And so if you're struggling hearing from God this morning, or if you don't know how to distinguish what is from God and what isn't, take a note from Matthew. God will never say anything to you that is contrary to Scripture. He would never steer you in an opposite direction than what his word says. So if you want to be better at distinguishing God's voice, you need to know his voice by reading his word. You need to take time and be open to him speaking. You need to be in his presence besides on just Sunday morning. But study his word. Read the Bible. Matthew references the Old Testament throughout the nativity and even the Virgin Mary in her song in Luke 
makes at least, at least 15 scripture quotations or allusions. These people knew God's voice because they heard it read in scripture hundreds of times. We need to be committed to read God's word and always be open to hearing from him in whatever way he is trying to speak to us. So if you are interested in hearing about the importance of God's word, I encourage you to go to Get Connected tonight at Pastor Ben and Jessica's house. Um, They are actually going to be talking tonight about how the Bible is the inspired word of God. And it's a great starting point for anyone if you're new to the church or new to the faith, or even if you're wanting to try to get to know people in the church and uh, just need a refresher on um, the importance of Scripture. Uh, You don't want to miss it. Scripture guides us. It inspires us. And it even speaks to us. So don't miss this opportunity tonight. Their address is in your bulletin. It's going to be awesome. And uh, I'm excited for all of you guys who decide to go out. So God doesn't just see the big picture. He doesn't just speak in different ways. But God steers us in the right direction. Throughout the Christmas story, we see Jesus coming into the world, and we see God the Father reaching out his hands to bring people to his Son. He has opened door after door for people to walk through to get to Jesus. He told Joseph not to divorce his fiance. He showed the Magi a star, and he flat out told the shepherds what was going on. It cracks me up um, that to these astrologers, God just had to simply uh, put a simple star up in the sky. But to the uneducated, blue-collar shepherds, God sent a whole choir of angels that told the shepherds exactly where Jesus would be. And they even told the shepherds exactly what Jesus would be wearing. Like, man, that's so funny to me. Uh, But even though God opened the door for all these witnesses, they actually had to take the initiative to walk through that open door. God might steer us in the right direction, but we have to move in that direction. We can't get anywhere if we never move, and I think that is the point God is trying to get across in this story. Remember how Joseph was told in a dream that he was to take Mary home to be his wife and not divorce her? Well, guess what Joseph did as soon as he woke up? In Luke 1, 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph heard from the Lord and then immediately, immediately acted on what he was told to do. The shepherds in the field were told by a whole group of angels that Jesus had come, but that's all that was said. They were never told to go to Bethlehem. They weren't commanded to witness what was going on, but they heard the assembly of angels, and they wanted to see it for themselves. It says in Luke 2.15 that when the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The shepherds saw a move of God and responded, even though they weren't required to, 
And not only that, but after they saw Jesus, they praised God and told everyone in the area what was going on. They didn't just have an encounter with Jesus, but they wanted others to have an encounter with him as well. I found the Magi's story really interesting um, as well when I studied it. See, I always thought the star of Bethlehem led the Magi's to Bethlehem. And it just makes sense, right? It's kind of in the name of the star, the star of Bethlehem. But no, I actually found when studying that the wise men, um, that the star didn't guide the wise men to Bethlehem. The wise men saw the star in the sky and they knew it meant something. They knew that there was a new king to be born. And so where does scripture say they go? It says they actually went to Jerusalem. They went where the current king lived because to them, that's where they thought the Messiah would be born. They didn't know about the prophecies because they weren't of Jewish descent. And so after seeing the stars, the wise men traveled to Jerusalem and they started asking people where the Messiah would be born. And it was then that scripture revealed to the wise men that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. So again, we see scripture as a guide. So God steered the Magi in the right direction by giving them the star, but he didn't hold their hand all the way to Bethlehem. They had to dig in for themselves. They had to find and ask the right people the right questions. They had to want to know where to find Jesus. God opened the door for them. He pointed them where to go, but they had to be willing to walk through that open door. And so when I was a kid, I loved to play with Legos. I don't know if you knew that, but I literally had a giant plastic storage container that was full of Lego pieces. And I was that kid that got a Lego set as a present every single holiday. That if you have lived under a rock your entire life and you don't know what Legos are, um, I'll give you the skinny. They are small plastic bricks that you use to build things. So, and if you are a parent or if you were a parent of a child that played with Legos, you probably don't think of them as a toy, but instead you see them as a torture device created by Satan himself. So if you have never accidentally stepped barefoot onto a pile of Legos, consider yourself lucky. And I'm pretty sure it is ranked second only to waterboarding in military uh, interrogations. It is, for real, it is one of the most painful experiences a person could ever experience. So you think of Mary giving childbirth? No. (laughs) Nothing compared to stepping barefoot on Legos. Just wanted to make sure I gave you the big picture. So, But to me, I loved Legos as a kid. I remember opening Christmas presents as a kid and seeing amazing creations plastered on the box. And it was crazy to look at it and see how awesome it looked. And then for me, it was even crazier to imagine being the one to construct it. I felt like an architect and I felt like a master builder at the humble age of 12. So how ridiculous would it be for me 
to see the creation on the box of Legos, to see the awesome Millennium Falcon. Yes, saw Rogue One last night. It was awesome. And open, um, yeah, so what would it be like for me to see, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Got excited about Star Wars for a second. No, but how ridiculous would it be for me to see this Millennium Falcon on the box? And then open the box and expect the ship to be fully assembled inside. I don't know if you know this, but Legos do not come pre-built. Um, that kind of takes the fun and adventure out of it, right? And the same is true for us. God gives us the big picture. He gives us this box with his plan on it. And then God then gives us directions to follow. We have an illustrated instruction manual that shows us exactly how to create the masterpiece. But it is up to us to construct it. And I picture God here as a loving parent, guiding us along, helping us to find the right pieces. But we wouldn't grow and we wouldn't enjoy life if God just miraculously solved all of our problems for us. God steers us in the right direction but we need to obediently walk where he is guiding us. So as the worship team comes up this morning, um, I just want to encourage you that maybe you are here and you're struggling to see God's big picture. Maybe something has happened in your life along the way that you weren't expecting. Maybe a loved one has died. Maybe the divorce papers went through or bankruptcy and debt has crept up behind you and you're wondering where God is. Let's ask God today to give us eyes to see his plan. Let's ask him today to give us perspective. Let's seek his face today and ask him to make us aware of his will in our lives. God's plan was an inconvenience to everyone in the nativity story, but they knew that God's plan would bring him glory. So let's have that same attitude this morning. Let's ask God to give us eyes to see him today. Or maybe you're here this morning and you are struggling to know God's plan for your life. Maybe you feel like you keep praying to him and you keep trying to seek his face, but all you hear is silence. Maybe you feel like you can't break through the ceiling. I want to challenge you to dig into God's word. Find a Bible reading plan. There's a ton of Bible reading plans on, on version app and on other places. Or you can even talk to me or Pastor Peter, Pastor Ben, and we would love love to walk alongside you. And let's pray that God gives us ears to hear him. God may be trying to speak to us through a friend's text message. He might be trying to reach out to us through a tragedy. He may even be giving us dreams or visions or pictures. He may even be speaking to you this morning through this message. We need to see God's picture before we can hear God's plan. We need ears to hear God this morning.
Or maybe you're here today and you know all this stuff. You may have a great devotional life. You may understand God's plan for you or for your family. I believe that God now wants to send you out. It's really easy for us to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's easy for us to see all these doors that God has opened for us. But maybe we need help taking initiative. God might be opening doors all around us, but we aren't growing because we haven't walked through them. So God may be asking you to start serving at a ministry here at church. He may be asking you to go on a missions trip to Baja, California. He may even be asking you to share the gospel with your coworkers or your friends or your neighbors. We need to ask God this morning for feet to follow him. I'm not going to lie, it's scary to follow God. He sometimes takes us to the unknown. He stretches us beyond what might feel comfortable. But we won't grow unless we follow him. So let's take a moment as the worship team plays this morning and ask God where we need to grow. So feel free to come forward. Feel free to stand. God sees the bigger picture. He speaks in different ways, and he steers us in the right direction. Let's ask him today for eyes to see him, ears to hear him, and feet to follow him.